Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Financial Independence Podcast, the podcast that gets inside the brains of some of the best and brightest in the personal finance space to find out their strategies and tactics for pursuing financial independence. On today's show, we have Brad and Alexi from TravelMiles101.com, uh, and they're here to talk about you know travel hacking and how to use miles and points to pretty much travel for nearly free. Um, this is definitely a subject that's really close to my heart because uh, we do a ton of traveling and it really is not a big part of our budget at all just because we've been able to utilize miles and points and all the other tips and tricks that uh, uh, are talked about so much in the travel hacking space. Um, uh, Brad and Alexi are actually both in the early retirement financial independence space as well. Um, Brad's site, uh, richmondsavers.com, and Alexi's uh, milesdividendmd.com. Both dive into lots of financial topics that are related to financial independence. So um, I'm excited to have them both on the show because we can not only dive into the cool stuff they're doing over at Travel Miles 101 in the travel hacking space, but I also really want to chat with them about a few things in the in the financial space as well. So uh, without further delay, uh, Brad and Alexi, welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks we're for excited us, to be here. Sorry, <laughs> talking over each other. <laughs> yeah, I know we were. I'll, I'll do better to uh, address each of you individually, so you don't have to worry about that. But uh, yeah, no, we're. Uh, I'm excited to have you guys on, and obviously, we're going to chat a lot about travel hacking. But uh, before I do, I, you know, uh, you guys are both in the financial independence, early retirement space as well. So uh, it'd be good to get you know some of your background before Travel Miles 101 started, and. Uh, uh, yeah, just talk about you know how you got on the path to financial independence, and uh, talk a little bit about your other sites. So, uh, Brad, do you want to kick off? Sure, sounds good, Brandon. Well, yeah, again, thanks for having us. This is this is great. I've been a, a Mad Scientist fan for quite some time, so it's cool to be on the podcast. Nice, thanks. And, <laughs> yeah, so my site, my personal finance site, is richmondsavers.com. So I actually live in. Richmond, Virginia, and I just you know kind of started started this as a a little side project, just kind of like a passion project. And um, you know, obviously, I wouldn't have named it Richmond Savers if I thought it was going to be some 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 huge site, probably. But uh, you know, just kind of getting my financial thoughts on paper and or digital paper, as it may be, and you know, just. I had been, you know, I've always been frugal. I've always been interested in early retirement, you know, and probably even before I thought about it on that concrete of a level, it's always just been something that's, you know, part of my my life. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, started this site. And then I guess what kind of got us some notoriety uh, or acclaim, let's say, <laughs> was this uh, trip to Disney World that we had put together using uh, rewards miles. So uh, this is how it all kind of ties into travel hacking and travel miles and such. And uh, yeah, I mean, we wound up getting mentioned in the New York Times and on you know NBC and CBS for this essentially free trip that we put together for my family of four to head down to Disney World. You know, it just kind of resonates with people. So uh, that was really the beginning of, of the shift from, you know, just kind of a generic personal finance blog into a travel rewards coaching service, which is what I, what I pretty much started. So, you know, it helped people one-on-one uh, just get started with, with travel miles. It's, it's a pretty confusing concept as, you know, I'm sure you guys, you know, we've all spent probably hundreds of hours each studying this and, Absolutely. you know, people 
right? I mean, it's it, there's so many rules and so many details, and you know, people just regular people don't have time for that kind of nonsense. And you know, if I could help cut through it with a 20 minute phone call or an email or something, then you know, that's that's a job well done. So it was it, it it felt nice. It was very psychologically satisfying to to help people. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of the the arc from Richmond Savers, the personal finance blog, to how I got into really helping people with travel rewards. Nice. Yeah. And when you were saying that about you wouldn't have named it Richmond Savers if you thought it was going to be big, I was just thinking back to all your all your TV appearances and things that <laughs> happened because of the Disney trip post. And uh, yeah, it uh, it didn't matter too much that you were, you know, your name is focused on Richmond when you're on such a, a big news outlets and everything. So um, and yeah, we're good. We're going to dive definitely into a, a lot of the travel hacking stuff. But uh, uh you're also a CPA, right? You in your in your day job prior to you know doing these things full time, you were a yeah. CPA. Yep, that's right. Yeah, so was, finance uh, has CPA been something and, that's uh, you know been in your blood for a while. Absolutely. Yeah, I was in corporate tax for really my whole career after graduating college, and yeah, I actually uh, just left my job earlier this year. So yeah, you know, moving certainly closer towards financial independence and early retirement and, and that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, it's been a real interesting ride. I never could have imagined, you know, when I started this website two and a half years ago that, that I would be able to quit my job. And, you know, obviously much of that is due to, you know, discipline saving over, over the years. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, this new business or anything like that, but it's, uh, it's a neat, definitely a neat thing. That's amazing. Yeah. So you, you're not fully financially independent, but you used your savings to uh, be able to cut ties with your other job and, you know, take entrepreneurship seriously, which is, which is an amazing thing. Cause I think that's what a lot of people are, you know, maybe they, ha- they do have ideas or even maybe fledgling businesses that are just, you know, trapped in the, you know, get a paycheck, spend the paycheck cycle. Right. Uh, and they can't even think about maybe, you know, doing something riskier, but potentially more rewarding. Uh, but it sounds like you, you did exactly that and your savings towards financial independence helped, uh, make that possible. Is that, is that a, yeah, no, that's a great, great way to summarize it, Brandon, for sure. It's, uh, it's so much easier psychologically knowing that, you know, we are a, we live, you know, so far below our means, if you will, if that even, you know, (laughs) means anything, but, uh, you know, we're, we're frugal. We don't, we don't, frivolously waste money and you know so our expenses are low i mean that makes it easier in and of itself and then sure we've been you know like i said saving so diligently for for so many years that yeah i mean it it just makes it dramatically easier to take a risk because the risk is minimized right i mean there's there's essentially no risk uh just because the monthly expenses aren't that much so yeah i mean it it all yeah i totally agree it definitely ties ties into it for sure that's excellent. And Alexi, so you're a doctor by trade, is that correct? I am. I'm a, a cardiologist, actually, an electrophysiologist, which is a specialty within cardiology that uh, specializes in arrhythmia. So that's that's my day job. Nice. And so how did Miles Dividend MD come about? So, you know, I had kind of an interesting route. Um, it's almost the exact mirror of what, what Brad described. I actually came to early retirement theory from travel hacking. Um, and, uh, my impetus for travel hacking is just kind of born out of my personal situation, which is that my wife is Japanese. And, uh, when we first got married, I just told myself, you know, this woman is moving to America to, to marry me. 
you know, it's an absolute priority that we get back to Japan every year. And no matter what, that's, that's something that I'm, that we're going to do. And we did. And I think when, when I was first in med school and we moved, she moved out to New Orleans where I was going to med school, um, we were, it was when oil was very, very cheap and you can get like a, a round trip to Japan for like 400 bucks from New Orleans, just crazy. Um, but, you know, times changed and oil got more expensive and our family grew. Um, and at some point, you know, now now we've, we're not getting one or two tickets to Japan. We're getting five tickets for my wife and me and, and our three kids. And so we were looking at, you know, six, seven grand just in airline uh, fees to go over there. And, you know, I make a very good salary. But no matter what, you know, six or seven grand out-of-pocket expenses gets your attention. And so um, when I booked that trip a few years ago for, you know, I think it was like almost 7,000 bucks. I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way of doing this and um, started diving into Flyer Talk and all of the blogs and just became totally entranced with um, this idea of getting value by just thinking a little bit outside the box um, and just got pretty passionate about it as I tend to do. And um, somehow I came across Mr. Money Mustache. And I think the first post I ever saw of him was when he was talking about his issues with affiliate links and how he had to give up his Chase um, income because they wanted him to take um, something about badassity off of the, yeah, the right. banner of his that. of his site. Um, but somehow I got to his um, surprisingly simple uh, math post about the four percent withdrawal rule, and that just you know really struck and just a chord with me um, almost immediately. Um, and I kind of immediately saw that these two areas were very, very similar. It's a different, it's just something that's very obvious and right in front of you. And it's an opportunity that everyone can take advantage of, but it just requires thinking a little bit differently about you know, the way to live or the way to plan your travel. And so I started getting very into to that. And um, I think that was actually bolstered by my life experience because uh, becoming a doctor is kind of a, not a traditional career path. You don't start out at an entry-level job and then you get some raises and move up the corporate ladder and your lifestyle kind of gradually inflates. Um, what happens is that you, you, know, you make a very modest living. You know, for me, I, after med school, I had seven years of training and started out making you know, 30-something thousand dollars a year. By the end, I was probably making 50-something thousand dollars a year. And then you go out into practice and all of a sudden your, uh, your salary you know, triples or quadruples. And so you get this just amazing increase in the amount of money you're bringing home. And it, it, re it really teaches, taught me a lot of lessons at least. Um, so if you want to really understand lifestyle inflation, then go from making you know, 60 grand a year to making $275,000 a year and realizing that you know, there's not that much more money in your bank account at the end of the month and you're not materially more happy. So, um, so I kind of had the chance before I ever even thought about early retirement or freedom or things like that to uh, experience the limits of what purchasing can buy you in terms of happiness. So that was a very important lesson that I had learned before I even thought about early retirement. And then, you know, from there, the, the calculus was simple. It, it, to me, it just meant that every purchase I made had to buy me material more happiness than saving it and, and investing in my freedom could be. And it, it really had nothing to do with stopping working. Uh, you know, I, I trained for so long to become a doctor that, you know, I want to practice for at least you know, 15 years before I 
think about cutting back because I, I get a lot of value out of being a doctor, but it was more from the idea of buying my own freedom and um, getting to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm going to work and maybe some days I don't want to go to work, but I go to work anyway, but I'm doing it because of my own volition because this is this has meaning for me. This is not because I don't have another choice. And that that's the goal for me more than not working. Yeah, that's a very powerful thing and it just completely changes your entire outlook and feeling towards work and uh, that's something I, I don't think I really expected, but it's been one of the best benefits is, yeah, when you're not forced to, you just you enjoy it more, you... Um, yeah, um, at least I'm not as stressed out. I'm sure your job's a lot more stressful than typing some code into a computer. So um. it, it is stressful, but at the same time, you know, just real, you know, living so far below my own means and realizing that, you know, I already have, every, you know, I already have everything that I could possibly need, um, and then some means that, you know, I, I just have this kind of wiggle space. I mean, I don't know that I would call it fu money, but I just have this big buffer between me and, and worrying about my, me or my family's survival. So um, I tend to be much more optimistic and sunny than I was before I started pursuing this. Um, and I'd, I'd say I tend to be happier. It's not, it's not like I'm giving up my time now for some time in the future. I'm, I'm actually, my time now is better than it would have been if I weren't pursuing this. That's great. So how, how long, uh, you know, how long were you on the lifestyle inflation route uh, before you, you know, realized that it, you weren't any happier, even though you were spending, you know, potentially four times the amount that you were just a few short sure. years ago. Um, I would say about three years. So I'd say about three years out of practice. And, you know, a lot of it is actually just the, uh, the changes that happen. You, know, you, you go out, you make a big purchase. I had to raise a bunch of money for a down payment. So some of it's already saving, right? I mean, but your expenses go through the roof. Um, so there's a lot of it that's not, I mean, it's not like, I mean, I didn't go out and buy a Porsche or anything like that. Um, but, but your, your spending just naturally expands to fill your salary. Um, and then I reached kind of a point where, you know, I had paid off a loan from a family member for my down payment and my cars were paid off. And so there was actually, I actually was having more money coming in. Um, and it gave me this kind of natural area to say, okay, all this money goes into figuring out the best way to leverage it for freedom. And so I'd say about three years was right about when all these changes occurred. And did you stumble upon Mr. Ryan Mustache um, before you started making these, you know, changes, or was it was it stumbling upon his, uh, you know, his simple math uh, for early retirement that it sort of, you know, flicked the light switch in your head? Um, I, I would say I was primed by the by the the travel hacking thing. So I, I kind of. Oh, okay. um, I kind of realized that there, you know, there are ways of not spending money. That money doesn't buy happiness. Um, that you can get more pleasure out of your life by by taking a different approach. And then um, when I saw that post, it kind of crystallized it for me. And then that's the point at which I said, you know, I realized you know there's a very specific number that that's going to be my number. And at that point, um, I will consider myself financially independent. And um, I, at that point, I'm not going to do anything. For money, I'll do it for other reasons and other other values. So, it gave me just like a very concrete goal and, and made it much easier just to commit to. Um, I find it very difficult to commit to saving when it's you have no sense of when you'll have saved enough, or no sense of incremental growth towards a goal. Um, so, so that was very helpful. That the just I think that's a very very uh, well written post. Um, 
and it really kind of simplifies really a simple a simple equation. I mean, it, it really lets you see that there's a certain amount of money you need to live on and there's a certain amount you need to save. And once you reach there, then you're making a probabilistic choice at that point to consider yourself financially independent. Yeah, excellent. Definitely, I'll link to I'll link to that and the the badassity chase post from oh, yeah. Mr. Money Mustache in the show notes because they're both excellent posts to read. Um, Brad, how how did you how did you stumble on the idea of uh, early retirement? Um, was it did you, you see anyone doing it in your CPA days or? No, that's yeah, that's a great question, Brandon. Um, I think the actually so early retirement would have come about by reading Mr. Money Mustache as well and, you know, frankly, reading your site. Uh, you know, I think it has always been in my mind to, you know, live, save a significant amount and to live, you know, far below my means. But I'm not sure that, that there was ever any concrete nature to it. So I think it was, you know, I've been like that since I graduated college. I mean, I, I recollect, uh, you know, moving back in with my parents and, you know, literally saving, I think, you know, essentially every dollar that I earned. I mean, it was something crazy, like 70 or 80% of my income to save up for a down payment on this. Uh, so I, we lived on Long Island. So I bought like a, a co-op apartment and, you know, that was within two years of graduating college. And, you know, it just kind of all all rolled from there. So, I mean, I nev- I've never been a spender. I've never been someone who is interested in in cars or you know material goods by any means it's uh so yeah i mean i can't say there was one like light switch moment sure. but yeah i mean actually seeing it on paper seeing you know uh you know my favorite article as well is shockingly simple math you know at mr money mustache followed by i think it's from from middle class to kick ass that's another great article you should yeah, you should I'll link to. Those series. are the two that I send to everyone. Uh, I just think they it's it's the theory and then it's the practice of of you know how you can kind of live. And my wife, I'm I'm really fortunate. My wife Laura has is probably even more frugal than I am. Nice. Uh, and so yeah, it's been great. It's never been never been an issue with us. It's almost uh, it, it, we look at it as a game in a sense and. and basically living this middle class life just a little bit smarter so from all outward appearances we live a nice you know upper middle class life nobody knows we're not the same people with you know dead up to their eyeballs like everybody else and you know it's just a couple tweaks and you know i guess maybe it 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 sounds easy to say it's a couple tweaks but you know for most people they can start somewhere right they can right. they can do a couple things and let those compound on each other you know a couple little habit changes and you know eventually you're at a point where this doesn't feel like we're depriving ourselves and i'm sure you guys would would agree i know alexi mentioned this before about you know kind of like the utility of each in uh, additional purchase. Like, I don't feel that I'm depriving myself. I feel like I have everything I could ever need. You know, I, I don't understand how everybody else spends so much money. I don't know. I right. you know literally don't know the math of it. You know, like exactly. Uh, it seems crazy to me, but uh, you know, very clearly, you know, the three of us and and everyone listening, you know, we are a minority, uh, and that's what's so cool about your site and Mr. Money Mustache and Jim Collins is, you know, you feel these are kindred spirits. You know, that's that's the cool thing about this online community that we're part of. And, you know, it's it's hard to find people in real life, quote unquote, that 
that are like this. And, uh, you know, because we don't go around broadcasting it. Maybe that's right. part of it. But yeah. um, No, I completely agree. And uh, it's it's even more amazing when you get to meet up in person like Brad. So obviously, you and I have hung out quite a bit. Alexi, I haven't met you in person yet, but hopefully, uh, hopefully next year in San Diego at one of the conferences potentially definitely and, yeah and um and yeah like meeting up with yeah mr money mustache and jim and just hanging out with you know the 1500s and yeah. uh that we've all that you know that we've been lucky enough to do it's just uh it's just an amazing experience and i, I just recently got back from ecuador which was like a, a a lot of uh readers were down there and it was just an amazing week of just chatting with people that get this stuff and i'm um, I, I want to figure out how to do more of that because it's, you know, internet is great and it helps reach a lot of people, but it's really the in-person chatting and bouncing ideas off of people that's really, really valuable. And I don't know, I don't know a good way to, you know, foster more of that. Uh, so if any listeners out there have any ideas, just send me an email, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's uh kindred spirits is a, is a great way to put it. Um, so yeah, we're, we're definitely going to start chatting more about travel hacking but there's a few other financial things i wanted to chat with you guys about um alexi uh sacred cows is a post of yours that i think is maybe one of my favorites if not the favorite um which i will link to in the show notes but um i've you know i've read a lot of things about peer-to-peer lending over the years um and hopefully I'm not putting it on, on the spot because this is probably quite an old post uh, of yours. No, I, but, I remember the post. It, oh, it's good. about Lending Club, right? You're right, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's literally the only uh, P2P lending post that I actually really agreed with. So would you mind just uh, talking a little bit about that? Uh, and yeah, apologies if it's if it's out of your mind and I didn't I didn't prep you for it. But, uh, but no, yeah, no, just, I, remember, I think it's I, worth talking about. Yeah, that, that I carry my opinions about that about peer-to-peer lending um, to this day. So I don't think much has changed since I wrote the post. But I think the background of that post is kind of about, um, I think the, the interesting part about it is actually, there's two two aspects. One is, is peer-to-peer lending a good investment strategy? And that's an interesting question um, and tough to answer. And then the second question is, how do we make our decisions? Um, and, you know, I think from our conversation just now, obviously, we're incredibly influenced by those around us. So, uh, Brandon, when you write a post about, you know, the triple value of happiness, I, I might be messing up the um, the title there a little bit, which I thought was an amazing post, you know, that, that crystallizes something in my mind. Or when Mr. Money Mustache writes the surprisingly simple math post, it crystallizes something and we get this power from other people's thinking. But I think that the flip side of that is that we get in these communities and um, it becomes the case that because someone who you respect greatly about one thing has an opinion about it, um, it becomes incredibly influential. And so in this case, what I was writing about was peer-to-peer lending. And it's something that you know Pete has advocated for and had very good um, luck with. Um, and I was kind of writing about, well, is it really a wise thing to, to look into? Um, and you know the, the spoiler is that I, I think it's probably not a very good way of of lending of of investing your money. And and the reasons for that, the first one is that there's just no track record. So um, a lot of its appeal is kind of based on this oh it's this new culture of lending money to someone else, and it's this different mode, and you're getting into this market that was previously not available to you, which is this 
um, you know, peer-to-peer lending and it's, you know, the social networks and isn't that great? Um, so, so that's some of the appeal. But, you know, when you're investing your money, I think your real question should be is, will I get a better return here than I will anywhere else? Um, and so the way that I found it most useful to look at peer-to-peer loans was as a, a kind of junkier form of junk bonds. So uh, junk bonds are just high-yield bonds. So it's, it's debt for corporations that um, have poor credit ratings. So maybe they're carrying a lot of debt already. There's a risk of bankruptcy. So you get a higher interest rate for, le- for lending to these bad companies than you would for lending to you know, a well-capitalized company. And so I thought it would be useful to look at you know, what are the positive sides and the negative sides of looking at, at you know, buying junk bonds or junk bond funds. And so the positive is obviously that you get a higher dividend. So you're getting more money, you're getting more money um, in the form of a coupon um, for the amount that you lend. But the negative is that you're taking on more risk. Um, and so you can't think of it as I'm buying a treasury and I'm getting more, I'm getting more uh, interest rate for it. What you're buying is a risky asset. So you're basically replacing stocks with a form of bond. Um, and so you're getting all the risk of stocks with a limited upside because the most you can get is the, amount, the interest rate that they're offering you. And then, you know, I think where that kind of fell apart is that, you know, when you're lending to a, a, a corporation, they have assets. So you're, you're actually lending against collateral. So if they go bankrupt, the first people who get paid back are the lenders and then the, the shareholders get paid back. And they have things like trucks and buildings and, and infrastructure. Whereas if you're just lending to some guy uh, who wants to get money for, to pay off his credit cards, that's a non-collateralized loan. And if they decide not to pay it, you really have no recourse to get money from them. So it's even more risky. So it's a, a junkier junk bond. Right. Yeah. No, and then it's, it's an amazing post. Oh, sorry. Can continue, please. And, you know, the final thing is, you know, because of its risk, when you're buying into an asset like that, um, you're you're basically not getting any diversification. If you buy a low yielding treasury, you're getting something that's going to often move in the opposite direction of the market when the market goes down. When you buy this, you're gonna it's going to go south at the exact same time stocks go south. And then the kicker is the most important thing in selecting an investment, you know, really regardless of what it is, is the cost to invest. You know, when I look at investment options, I'm always looking at the expense ratio first because really nothing else is guaranteed. And they're charging something like 1% off the top. Um, You know, would you ever buy a mutual fund with a 1% expense ratio? I sure wouldn't. So it ended up being all these reasons why I think it's a a terrible idea. You know, they're not liquid. You can't, if you want to get out of them at a time where you're, you need money for something else, they're very difficult to sell in the secondary market. Um, And so, it was about why I don't think it's a good investment option. And then it was also about kind of the groupthink. And you can't, just because someone who you respect, and I deeply respect Pete at Mr. Money Mustache, um, is doing something, that, it means, that doesn't mean it's a good idea for you to do, some, do something. Um, we all make mistakes. We're all human. And you've, kind of, you've kind of got to rely on your own analysis for every time, especially when you're investing. I mean, it's such a, the, the margins are so thin with investing that you've got to make smart decisions. And if you choose to do anything other than invest in low cost indexing approach, well, you better have a pretty good reason to do it. And you better have thought it through for yourself. Oh, that's excellent. Thank you very much for getting into that. Yeah. yeah. I encourage everyone out there to, to go ahead and read it and it'll, there'll be a link in the show notes, but uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with more with everything you've said. And, uh, and yeah, the post is very well written 
and uh it's really Thank interesting you. when you when you compare them to junkier junk bonds and just yeah just how that puts it into a different completely different perspective which is necessary because uh, that's exactly what they are so um so since we you know talked a little bit about investing philosophy and things like that i don't know if you guys would mind uh you know maybe just covering like an overview of what what you guys do are you guys index investors or you know what do what, what do you uh what do you mainly invest in brad if you want to kick us off Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think Alexi just just touched on it, which is low cost, and you know, obviously, you you talk about that all the time, Brandon. It's uh, after reading, you know, Jim Collins' stock series, and I'm sure you'll link to that if you know you haven't many times already. Uh, I will link to that because I <laughs> we mentioned it in uh, Mr. 1500's post, and Jim emailed me. He's like, "Hey, where, where's where's my link? You guys talked about it. <laughs> where's so, the link?" <laughs> so, Jim, I won't make that mistake again. I will be linking to it in this in the in the post. Yeah, I mean that was that was a real eye opener for me. Um, and you know, this really being part of this online community has been just such an uh, educational experience for me. Frankly, it's you know I've always felt that you know I've I've known my stuff on some level, uh, but you learn something new every day by reading reading people's sites that you respect, and uh, you know that that made me realize just how essential it was to stick to low cost index funds. I think I read uh, the Little Book of Common Sense Investing by uh, Jack Bogle of Vanguard fame, and that was that's a pretty good uh, that's definitely a good read. I'd I'd highly recommend grabbing that from your local library. Uh, just kind of drills home the point even further. So yeah, I mean essentially all of our money is in uh, Vanguard. You know, ultra low cost index funds. I think mostly VTSAX and uh, yeah, I don't remember the other symbols offhand. But yeah, essentially everything is is there. I I will sheepishly admit that I have some money in in Lending Club. <laughs> I got uh I got caught up in the in. in <laughs> After uh, you know, hearing Alexi uh, railing it, I'm sitting here saying, "Oh man, I don't know if I should uh, mention this or not." But but don't get me wrong; it's a great investment, Pat. I don't know how you could have possibly gotten the idea that I'm not a fan of Lending Club. From <laughs> what I just said. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's funny. I no. I think your your larger point about you know having really thought it through. I you know I can't say that I've sat here and and spent you know any significant amount of time. But to me, it's it's just kind of a. It's a fun investment, and you know right, maybe for yeah, us, I think everybody has room in their portfolio, at least a little bit of a percentage to either yeah pick stocks, even though we know we shouldn't, or yeah right. pick some other fun investments to do. So yeah, <laughs> you don't have to feel too bad. And, about and yeah, that definitely is is a great point, Brandon. Which is you know this is not fifty percent of my portfolio. That would be insane. It's right. a tiny little percentage, and you know it's fun. I like lo- logging into Lending Club every. Every you know once a week for thirty seconds and picking out some more loans and you know I've done reasonably well with it so far but you know to Alexi's larger point who knows what'll happen at you know the next recession or some such it's it's definitely not uh, it's unclear because there's no track record so uh, yeah that's a a tiny little fun percentage so yeah that's kind of the overview nice how about you Alexi so. Um I guess uh, the way I invest would be one of those do as I say, not as I do sort of a things. I'm, right. I'm uh, a little hesitant to share it, but but I will share it. So uh, traditionally, I've always been um, just a low cost, diversified um, index fund investor, um, and you know, I, a little bit more complex than just like target date funds. So 
I, I am a believer in the value premium and the size premium. So I would, and I'm, I'm really a big believer in international diversification just as a, a way of de-risking your portfolio. Um, I think we all have a tendency to way overweight um, the, the stocks for whatever country we happen to have been born in. And, you know, U.S. has been a great stock market to date, but that doesn't mean it'll be a, the best stock market in the future. So I, I kind of believe in, in, in weighting um, stocks towards the actual world economy, so about 50% U.S. and a 50% uh, international, and then um, overweighting uh, value in small, so putting a little portion of your portfolio into small value funds um, in order to to get those premiums, which are you know, either risk premiums or um, or or not, but um, but over the long course of time have have been proven to to increase returns and risk adjusted returns. So um, so that's traditionally what I what I've done um, for my taxable uh, holdings. I put them all into Betterment, um, uh, which I think is a. I, I, I think it's a fantastic um, place, particularly for taxable funds, um, because uh, the tax loss harvesting feature is just huge. You know, I, I'm at a pretty high marginal tax rate, so uh, I make many, much more money from tax loss harvesting than I spend in this in the uh, expense ratio, um, which is you know 0.15% for amounts over a hundred thousand dollars. So, um, so that's and then I find it to be behaviorally very. I never have to rebalance, so I'm never tempted to change my portfolio. I just literally put money in there, and they do everything for me. And I I think it's worth the expense that they that they charge personally. I, can, I that, completely that. agree. Yeah, I read a whole article about yeah the the fact that you know the tax loss harvesting alone could be you could could blow that 15 basis points fee out of the water. Um, so yeah, I completely well, it, agree. It, you know, last year wasn't particularly volatile, and I think the amount that I ended up harvesting was a little bit less than two grand. So you figure, you know, fifty percent marginal tax rate if you include tax, uh, state taxes, well, that's like an extra grand there. That's an awful lot of, that's an awful lot of. Uh, it takes a lot of money for a fifteen uh, fifteen basis point expense ratio to get to to that much money. So I'm compounding more money than I would without them. Now whether that'll be the case fifteen years from now. It's easily verifiable every year. I, I can always move it out if I'm not happy with the service, but to date I've been very pleased with that. Um, and then, you know, the big change in my portfolio was about uh, 14 or 15 months ago. I changed to more of an active approach using low cost index funds called dual momentum. Yeah, um, and this you, is something. You wrote some posts on that too, I can link I've, to. I've written a lot of posts on it. I'm actually working on one which looks back at the past year, the performance of it relative to both the S&P 500 and to what my portfolio was before I switched over. So um, readers can look forward to that in the coming days. But um, essentially, you know, my, I think that my, if I had to distill down the, the two things that I believe most about investing, number one is that you've got to keep it cheap. Uh, and number two is that you have to preserve your capital. And so my, go- my goal has really always been to diminish drawdowns more than to um, increase returns on any given year. And so what dual momentum is, it essentially uses two forms of, dom- of momentum. One of them is called relative momentum, which looks at the relative performance of one asset class relative to another, and it puts all of your money in that asset class. So foreign equities versus U.S. equities or gold versus long treasuries or whatever you choose to do. And it, it takes advantage of the momentum anomaly, which is that things that have recently done well over the course of uh, three to 12 months 
will tend to do well over the short term, which is the next month or so. And so um, it's a very low frequency trading strategy um, where you trade maybe once or twice a year um, and change your position. But the, the really the part of it that appeals to me most is the so-called absolute momentum aspect of it, which basically says that there are periods uh, in the market um, where risk is is higher than other times. And if you just exit the market during those times and forego some of the upside during those times, you can um, avoid the massive drawdowns that can really eat away at returns. So you can re- avoid 2008, um, you know, 2001, the, you know, the big recession in the 70s, um, you know, 89. You can, you can really mitigate those losses. So it's a form of trend following. So people might be familiar with you know, getting out of the market when the 200-day moving average, when, when the price of the stock drops below the 200-day moving average. It's similar to that. So it's a fusion of those two strategies. Um, but in the past, you know, say 40, 50 years, what that's done is it's markedly reduced drawdowns and increased compounding returns. Now, whether that'll be the case in the future, I don't know. I'm pretty confident it'll, de- it'll decrease the big drawdowns. Um, but for me, it, it just fits behaviorally. But it's not something that I, that I really recommend to others um, unless they've done their own due diligence and, and kind of seen what it's like to have negative tracking error, which you'll have with any active strategy. Sure. All right. I, I look forward to your, your post on you know how it's been going over the past little while. Um, but I will also link to all of the other posts that you've written on it so people can check that out. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully, I, I imagine by the time I publish this, you'll have published your the post that you just mentioned. So I'll put that in the show oh, notes as well. Days, yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I'm not, I'm definitely not that quick. Um, so yeah, that'll, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put that in the show notes as well. All right. So yeah, I could talk about this stuff all day with you guys. Uh, and we're already, we're already quite a way in and we haven't even started talking about travel hacking with one of my favorite hobbies as well. So Brad, maybe tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how travel miles 101 came about and, uh, the service that you guys offer. Sure. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, so yeah, we started Travel Miles 101 earlier this year. So it's, I guess, January 2015. Alexi and I have been friends for a couple of years now and, you know, have share a mutual love of travel hacking. And, you know, we just kind of talked about creating some type of, of step-by-step course that could help you know, regular people get started with travel hacking because, you know, it, it is difficult. Like we talked about before, there's there's a lot of information. I mean, there are great blogs out there that provide you everything you could possibly need. But the issue is they don't curate it. It's just this massive dump of information, you know, 10 articles per site per day. And people get overwhelmed. And, you know, I'm frankly lucky that I didn't give up at the beginning because, you know, I did see the value in it down the road. But, you know, there were times where I said, you know, can I really do this? There's so many details, so many little things to worry about. And, you know, once you get into it and once you have a grasp on it, it it does become a lot simpler. And, you know, Alexi, I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, the intellectual aspect of it and, and how much he enjoys that side. And, and I do as well. It's, it's, a, fun, it's a fun game. Uh, but, you know, that's once you're down the road a little bit. And we realize that, you know, people need a little bit of help getting started. So, uh, yeah, we joined together. We 
advertise this course that we created, and it was actually originally uh, miles for mustachians. That's how that's how we started <laughs> nice. it. We, uh, you know, we're both, as you can tell from the conversation, both huge fans of of Pete's and are active on the forum. And you know, we just wanted to make. Uh, you know, we realized that that people in the you know financial independence, early retirement, and Mr. Money Mustache group were especially suited for travel hacking you know it's not for everybody obviously it's you know this is credit card related so i mean that throws out 80 to 90 percent of people in the country would you know who carry debt month to month i mean clearly this is not for for those people and, and you know we try to stress that at the beginning uh you know but for people who pay their credit cards on time and in full every month you know travel hacking is just an amazing way to to really jump those rewards that you get back, which, you know, what, for most cards, it's about 1%, you know, and most people are happy with that, right? They get a check at the end of every month, you know, at the end of every year for 200 bucks or something, and, you know, they're thrilled. But if you can take that normal spending and just be a little bit smarter about it and open up very targeted cards, you know, I mean, you can earn five to $10,000 in free travel every year and i know alexi will will tell you how he i mean he makes that look like chump change i mean <laughs> uh you know which is kind of kind of a cool aspect of of the travel miles 101 course is that alexi and i do come at this from from dramatically different perspectives it's you know maybe not different perspectives we both we both see eye to eye on it but you know he as Different degrees have, of fanaticism, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's a perfect way of describing it. As you can tell from the conversation, I, you know, I crave simplicity. Like to me, I, I just kind of want to do my thing. And Alexi has has this intellectual desire to to maximize everything, right? If I could speak for you, it's 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 a cool thing. It's I, I'm envious. Believe me, I wish I wish that that was that was me. But uh, but what's what's neat about our perspective is, you know, we show that pretty much anyone can succeed at travel hacking. Whether you want to, you know, go the Alexi method as we call it, or the Brad method, or uh, and it's it it so I think that adds a lot of value. So yeah, I mean, really, it's it's a a course that we've signed up that we've created and people sign up for. They get emails every day, and you know, we have a, a social media aspect to it too. We have a community forum and a private Facebook group, and you know, it just really it really engages and people are able to ask questions in kind of like a, a safe place. It's, it's, it's a happy little corner of the travel hacking world. And, you know, which, which you is see, hard you know. to come by if you've ever <laughs> dove into like flyer talk or mile points or any of these places. Uh, yeah, there's, there's not too many friendly <laughs> smiling faces, uh, helping you. And that's uh, it, yeah, get that's why I brought it up. Exactly. It's like, you know, it, it, people get yelled at, Right, you go to Flyer Talk, you ask some noob question, and and people people get mad at you. And to me, that's ridiculous. Like this is this is a hobby where we get to travel the world for pennies. And I mean, to me, that's something to you know get on the rooftops and scream about, you know, and enjoy. It's it's a wonderful thing. But people look at it like, oh, this is my hobby. I don't want you involved. And to me, that that kind of exclusivity in any aspect of life just doesn't work. I. I recoil and horror from that so you know we wanted to create something that you know people could get started with and you know listen the people are going to move on eventually right they're going to move on to uh travel is free which you know brandon you and i have talked about drew's site it's probably the most advanced and you know the best uh travel hacking site there is but you know people need a place to start 
And, you know, that's what we think Travel Miles 101 uh, has done. And, you know, we expect to grow with them as well. You know, I mean, we start from simple topics to, you know, significantly more advanced stuff. So I, I think it, it definitely caters to everybody. But, you know, originally, certainly it was for, for the beginner looking to make it work for his or her life. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. And yeah, it, uh, yeah, what you said about how you can take it to many different levels, you know, you don't, you know, you don't have to do the advanced stuff to really benefit a ton from it. Like you could you completely change the way you travel. Um, and even if you can't take a lot of trips, you know, it, it, it completely changes the way this, it, it, at least for me, it's reduced mostly all of the stress of travel. Um, and now I'm not, you know, flying business class and first class all the time or anything like that. It's just having a lot of different options when the cash price is too high to have like, you know, five different options to use miles for the same thing. And it's just amazing. Like, uh, yeah, I was in, I forget, I was flying to Miami and I called the airport cause I was late and I was, you know, it's, I'm not going to get in until midnight. Are you going to be able to pick me up? And they said, no. Um, and even though I booked with miles that were non-refundable, I just called Hyatt and they refunded my miles. You know, no problem actually, even though it wasn't legitimately allowed. And then I looked at all my other miles and I booked a free hotel, um, you know, with uh, with a different type of point. And I did all this for my phone. I didn't have to use any cash or spend a fortune on last minute, you know, hotel rooms or anything. And it, it, it just it just made everything so much easier. So I, nice. I, I think yeah, that's that's, awesome. I think it's great what you guys are doing. And one I one think, little tip, actually. The, uh, oh, go ahead, Brad. I was going to say one little tip for Hyatt. Actually, uh, their Twitter account is fantastic. It's uh, Hyatt Concierge, mm. uh, and they answer essentially any question you have in like minutes. I had, yeah, it was. We had recently my my wife and I were going to go on a anniversary trip, and my daughter unfortunately got sick that morning, so we couldn't leave. And you know, we were supposed to check in probably seven hours from then, uh, you know, and we should not have been able to get our points back. I just sent a real quick direct message to high concierge and boom, the points were back in my account within two minutes. It was wow. amazing. That so was great. nice. Yeah. That's a, a little insider tip is the airlines and hotels definitely have very robust, uh, Twitter, Twitter customer service. They're fantastic. So keep that in mind. Nice tip. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't Lex, know why. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Alexi, you're going to say something. Oh, no, I was just going to echo what you said, Brandon, which is about options. I think that's, you know, optionality is the ultimate form of freedom. So if you have the ability to do multiple different things, depending on what the environment throws at you, then uh, then the environment stops becoming so scary. So um, and I think that you're absolutely right that having all of these different miles, it just it doesn't mean that you're going to go on 15 vacations a year. It means that when someone gets sick in your family, and you know, I mean, a perfect example is that my unfortunately my my wife's uh, uh, father became you know very ill this last summer, and we were planning on going there in the middle of the summer as a family, um, but he became pretty ill, and so you know, literally on a Saturday, um, after you know my wife got the call, I had her booked on a on a business class ticket to Japan the next day. She went there for a week, came back a week later. A couple of weeks later, we went as a family. And then, you know, unfortunately, he ended up dying um, several weeks later. But again, just last minute on the on the plane, maybe they weren't the best redemptions, but it was like 
zero stress because it was all points and, you know, I'll always have enough points because of, because of this hobby. Um, so just, you know, there's always going to be stress in your life, but taking away these friction points, um, which frequently has to do with money is incredibly liberating and it gives you just amazing optionality. And yeah, that's an excellent point. And yeah, it's just, uh, it just, it, it's really, it still blows my mind what, what you can get by just focusing on this just a tiny bit. Like, you know, I'm, I've probably been to almost 50 countries at this point. Um, and yet I still, you know, my savings rate is still very high and it's not like I make a ton of money. It's only because, yeah, the miles let us travel as much as we want without really even like making a dent in, in our budget. And it's just, it just blows my mind every day that, you know, the, the things that we're able to do. Um, like I was saying to you guys before the call, I, after this, after we finish this call, I'm calling American and rebooking, um, a, a trip from Japan to Jordan in which we're going to be stopping, uh, I think six or seven times along the way for 24 hour layovers and these, oh, that's these awesome. cool cities that we want to go to. The whole thing's going to be in business class, uh, cause it's only an extra seven and a half thousand miles compared to the economy price. Um, so for 30,000 American miles, we're going to have this week long vacation within a vacation. Cause when you're flying business class, it doesn't feel like travel. It's actually like an amazing experience that, you know, you're getting free food, you're getting free drinks every time you get on a plane. So it's going to be like a week of free food, a week of free booze. We're going to see six or seven cities for 24 hours. Um, and obviously we pick the cities either we've been to before or only think we'd want to stay 24 hours in. Um, and, and yeah, and it's all for 30,000 miles plus I think like 90 bucks, I think I paid in taxes or something. And it's just, it's just insane. That's going to be awesome. Yes. Yeah, I mean that's truly an amazing redemption, and uh, you know that's the the mad scientist version. But uh, the cool thing about this, and and that's, I believe me, I can't wait to see your post on that. <laughs> People are going to be just blown away. Yeah. Uh, the neat thing about travel hacking, we talk about options, is you know people there are different ways to succeed with this. And I think that's, that's really important is that, you know, people listening to this might say, you know, I have a family, I have two kids. I can't fly business class, you know, from Jordan to, you know, wherever. Uh, but you know, I want to go to the Caribbean or something, or I want to go to Disney world or Hawaii even, you know, that's the aspiration. There are always ways to save there are ways to do this without worrying i think people hear frequent flyer miles and they say oh it's going to be impossible to redeem these things there are blackout dates you know all the usual reflexive horror stories right that people that people have heard of uh i mean a i think we in in the course and certainly a lot of the information online show that that many of those are just simply not true uh there are many, many ways to redeem miles. And certainly flexibility is, is essential. You know, I mean, sometimes even plus or minus one day, you know, will will make the difference between finding the award availability and not, you know. And, and so, that's why it's so great for the financially independent early retiree exactly. crowd because it's like, well, we have the flexibility. We, do, we don't like spending money and we like to optimize things. So it's like the perfect, the perfect hobby for <laughs> like us yeah, and so people true. like us. So, so true. And then, you know, for people who can't do that, you know, there are, you know, hotel rewards are simple. Pretty much every hotel is not at full occupancy, you know, 
almost any single night of the year and you can use your points then you know that's this is a generalization obviously but you know you look for like the low hanging fruit so okay i don't want to be bothered with frequent flyer mile seats because they're too difficult you know somebody hypothetically says that well you know southwest is simple to fly across the country you know that's that's the biggest airline in in america now uh there are no award limitations on southwest so you know there are no change fees. I mean, it, it's the easiest airline to use possible. So, you know, that works for families. Uh, hotel rewards work for families because they are so e- easy to book. Then, you know, you see uh, everybody's seen the Capital One Venture uh, commercials, I'm sure, with Jennifer Garner and, and whoever. Uh, I mean, those, those well, they aren't the amazing redemptions like yours, Brandon, or, you know, Alexis to Japan in business class. Like, they still work for for some people, you know. It's it's going to save them five hundred bucks on their next their next trip, and it requires no thought. And you know, I, I'm just trying to paint the picture of this. Really, does work for everybody. It, it works no matter how much or how little flexibility, whether you're employed full time or you're financially independent. I mean, this this is a is really a marvelous hobby, and it's it it does work for everybody. Completely agree. And so your your course is completely free at. Uh, TravelMiles101.com. Correct. Okay, so they, to to sign up, uh, just head there. I'll put a link in, uh, and yeah, you get you can if you uh, you know are new to the hobby, then this is a perfect way to start. And even if you're you know advanced travel hacker, uh, you're definitely going to learn some stuff. So I will put a link in the show notes to that as well. Um, was there anything else you guys wanted to touch on with uh, travel hacking? Well, I think one thing that I would just say that to kind of echo what you guys are saying is that it's a, a perfect hobby both for people who are working towards early retirement and people who are already early retired for the reasons you've all already stated. But the interesting thing about it is that, you know, the value is very flat across different income levels, which is not always the case. So usually if if um, you're very wealthy and you get an asset, it's worth less to you than someone who's not very wealthy and gets the same asset. But um, just in terms of, of the amount of value you get, it actually ends up being fairly flat. And, and the reason I'd say that is if, let's say you're making $30,000 a year and you add uh, travel hacking to your list of skills, um, it, it essentially allows you to have like a $10,000 a year budget on travel for free. So, um, and maybe you're spending 100 or 200 bucks to, to hit all of your rewards, but you're you're getting a ten thousand dollar a year, so you're getting a twenty five percent boost in your pre tax earnings, basically. Um, so you're because you're making thirty thousand dollars, you're actually bringing home much less than that. You're probably bringing home like twenty thousand, so you're getting a fifty percent increase in your after tax um, amount of of money or of capital available for you to use, as long as you use some of it for 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 traveling. And then conversely, if you're at the extreme end of the, the, the high end of the income spectrum um, and you're making that same $10,000, well, that $10,000 is not as much as of a percentage of your, of your wealth. But if you're getting taxed at a high rate, there's really no taxation on points. They're seen as a, um, a, as a, uh, a refund, a partial refund for a purchase. So if you're getting $10,000 of purchasing power, that's the equivalent of making $20,000 extra that year. So each dollar that you get is actually worth twice as much. Each, each dollar you spend is worth twice as much um, 
as it would otherwise be. So if you already spend $10,000 a year on travel and you'd spend it, you, instead of using money, you use miles, you're essentially giving yourself another $20,000 a year of income to invest towards your retirement. So it kind of works on both ends with the tax efficiency for the wealthy and with the, just the, the amount of value you get nominally for the people who aren't as wealthy. So it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Oh, that's a great point. That's something I never actually thought about. But yeah, that's, uh, that's an amazing way to put it. And, and yeah, you guys are helping people get even more value out of these points, which is a great thing because, yeah, I think a lot of people get points and then use them unwisely uh, and you know they're still valuable obviously for the reasons you mentioned but um but yeah if you can actually extract all the value that's possible out of them um and it's 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 just an amazing amazing hobby that helps you do a lot of really fun things that you wouldn't want to cut out of your life and yet you're still able to save a ton of money and hit five even sooner so um yeah any other uh, any other last minute travel hacking uh tips or uh, discussions before uh, uh, we start wrapping up? Uh, I don't think so. just head over to Travel Miles? Uh, yeah, I think we cover most of the high points in the course. I really do. Perfect. Yeah, I'll put a link there. And um, yeah, so when I, you know, I usually end every episode with just, you know, asking my guests if, uh, if, if what advice they would give to somebody maybe either starting on the path to financial independence or, you know, maybe, uh, maybe further along the path. Uh, Brad, do you have anything uh, that you would, uh, that you would say? I would say, yeah, that's, that's a great question, Brandon. I would say keep at it because it is a, it's such a fantastic journey. Uh, To me, it's, it's psychological. And I think we, we've talked about this before. It's, it's about, reclaiming the power in your life and whether you decide to keep working like Alexi's doing or whether you you know stop and travel the world or do whatever it is you you can reclaim the power in your life and uh so not only is it exciting on the front end knowing you know along the way it's a journey but then once you reach that destination then you have an unlimited number of choices so uh it might be outside the norm, you know, for your family and people might look at you differently or your friends or some such, but know that, you know, there's a community of people online here at Mad Scientists and other places. And, you know, these are the kindred spirits that we were talking about before. And, uh, you know, we're all here to support you. And I think it's uh, really a wonderful goal. How about you, Alexi? Yeah, I mean, I think my advice would be um, to kind of jump in with with both feet and don't don't hesitate. Um, and this is not just about financial independence, but really about anything. I mean, I think about, you know, last winter when Brad and I were kind of talking about this course and it, finally we just kind of said, look, um, we need a deadline. When are we gonna get the first thing out? And, and we said, okay, well, why don't we say February 1st? And, you know, we, we basically put together the whole curriculum in a month and a half. We wrote all these articles and adapted them and created this whole infrastructure. Um, and both of us had full-time jobs at that point. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just something, something that we did in our free time and we got so much value out of it. I mean, um, Brad's, Brad's taught me so much about, you know, redemptions and about entrepreneurship um, and about um, kind of online web businesses. Um, and I've just gotten so much value out of this exercise that was kind of a, a diversion. And we've done, you know, better than I thought we would. And, you um, so 
even if you think you're really, really busy, you know, I'm a, I'm a proceduralist who does heart procedures all day and I had time to do all this stuff. So um, it's a value added thing to just kind of jump in with both feet and do a little bit of what seems like work because it ends up being some of the most meaningful stuff you're going to do. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Um, and yeah, can I, if I can just jump yeah, in. Yeah, absolutely, please. Yeah, it's a funny story actually how we, how we started the course, which was, you know, we literally advertised this thing before it exists. Before it existed, excuse me. And, nice. you know, it was amazing. You know, we said to ourselves, we are going to do this and we can provide value to people and let's just, let's do it. You know, it's, it's a sink or swim moment and we were pretty sure that we were going to swim, obviously, and we made sure of it. And, you know, we produced a, a you know, pretty solid uh, piece of output, certainly, that, that, you know, we've had 2,000 people go through this course already. So it's... And the, t- uh, the great testimonials you guys have had, you know, from happy customers and... <laughs> Yeah, no, and you guys yeah, have it's, definitely it's put, amazing. Some, put something to hear. Together. You know, you, you get an email saying, hey, we just took our, tra- our family to, you know, Amsterdam and Florence and Paris, and we could have never done it without you. And, you know, I mean, it, it's just amazing. I mean, I can't tell you how satisfying that is. And, you know, this was something that we just did as a fun side project. And, you know, I think to Alexi's point is you can always do more than you think you can. And something that might seem insurmountable, you know, I mean, we've had lots of challenges just because, you know, we're an accountant and a doctor trying to make a a web course, you know, and I mean, we don't have any idea what we're doing, but, you know, you learn something new every day, even if it's outside your comfort zone. And I think that that is so important for life and, you know, forget online business or whatever you want to call this, you know, it's, uh, it's just so important to learn new things, to stretch yourself, to set goals. I mean, these are these are crucial things, and it makes you just grow as a human being. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, go ahead, Alexi. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that Brad in my next course is probably going to be teaching everyone about the inefficiencies of the web-based uh, business model, because it's, it's really a hilarious sort of uh, a thing. It's, it's such an inefficient economy. You'd think it would be super efficient, but it's not. But <laughs> We're still making it work, and, it, and it's it's been a ton of fun. Nice. Well, uh, is Travel Miles 101 the best place to find you guys, or is that if they want to get in touch, if people want to get in touch, they can find an email address there, or just join the Facebook yeah. group? Or so either of our either of our um, web pages both have a banner to to take you to the Travel Miles 101, or you can just go directly to the website where you just enroll. Um, and in the near future, we're going to be changing it to a twice a month course as opposed to a a uh, once a month course. So oh, cool. um, you won't have to wait more than 15 days to get started. Perfect. Um, yeah. So just sign up, join us in the community. We'd love to have everybody, like you said, Brandon, whether you're just starting out or you're an advanced travel hacker, you know, we're really trying to create a nice, a nice community here. And, you know, we'd love, love to have anyone interested. Nice. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been amazing. Uh, sorry, we went a little over time, but there was just every time we started talking about something, I I would think of something else I wanted to chat with you guys about. So uh, I really appreciate the time. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I had a blast. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks a lot, Brandon. All right. Take care. Bye. Finance.